Okay, uh, today uh, James Cooper is going to be delivering the message. Are you ready, James? All right, here Let's is James, everyone. Let's do it. All right, my friends, good morning. Awesome to be here. Awesome to have the opportunity to do this, to share the word with you. Um, so, and I thank Dale for this opportunity. So, yeah. Um, you know, I should probably get situated before I... <clears throat> All right, so got a question for you. How many here would agree with me that Jesus is passionate about some things? Yeah. Today we are going to look at one of those instances where we can clearly see the passion of Christ on full display. Who would also agree with me that Jesus has no problem bringing about change? Mm-hmm. I believe we will see that as well. And hopefully when we wrap things up today, we will be able to see how God in his desire to have relationship with us will move passionately to do so. Hmm. So as we usually do, we are going to kick the day off with a question. Um, If you'd like to answer the question, we, we got Brock and Flint today, you will... Raise your hand and speak clearly into the mic. Stand up, too, if you would, please. So here it is. Briefly describe a time. It was clear God was making a change in your life. All right. So if you're ready, go ahead. Let's kick it off. Let's go. Hi, my name's Heather, and five weeks after I met this guy, I knew that God was making a change in my life because he was the one. (laughs) Thanks, Heather. All right. Hi, so um, the day I was arrested, and then the day I walked through the prison doors, and then the day I came out, and then the day I came here. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Thank you, Misty. Hello, I'm Galen. Um, there's been a couple times, but there, there's been a common theme. Um, when God is making a change in my life, uh, it's when he would actually pull back his restraint on me and let me do what I actually wanted to do and mm. let me suffer the consequences from that. Hmm. Nice. Thanks, Galen. Good morning. In 1997, um, I had a desire to move to Arizona, but it was difficult because of all my stuff. I was living in Grand Forks, North Dakota, and suddenly, in April, all of my stuff was gone, and I moved Mm. to Tucson, Arizona. Oh, wow. Wow. Thank you. Well, I was living in Arizona, and then I came to North Dakota. And uh, 
Yeah, th this is uh, the first time I've experienced below zero just within oh. the past few days. Um, I've never had to drive on snowy streets. So there's a lot of things that I just didn't know or, or didn't know how, how to deal with. But um, it's been a blessing. So when, when that uncomfort uh, came for me that I was coming to, to North Dakota, I didn't know how to accept it or didn't know what God was doing with it. But... Uh, just staying close to Christ and whatever situation has helped me uh, see the light that's guiding me through whatever storm. And, and it's not always a storm. Sometimes it's just the Lord burning some stuff off of you also. Mm -hmm. Amen. So that's, that's right. one of my last changes in my life. So okay. thank, you. thank you for sharing. I appreciate that. Thank you. Hello everyone, I'm Jamie. Um, so, a time. Um, last week, um, I found, well, I'm just going to uh, very vaguely describe, I found some, some very, I don't know how to, I found some drugs, pretty much, and, you know, um, it wasn't too long ago where I would have acted on impulse and that addictive behavior instead of, like, running to my supervisor and being like, here, take this. <laughs> okay, thank you, Jamie. Got mm. time for a few more. So, I'm Jerry, and uh, Jerry. like uh, this gentleman behind me, when I came from Arizona and uh, came to Moorhead to get clean, uh -huh. um, you know, it was touch and go for a while, but. Um, okay. uh, Recovery and God is working in my life like never before. Thank you. Oh, wow. Okay. Thank you, Jerry. Um, Jason, I'll say hi to my mom. She couldn't make it today. Hey, mom, I love you. Um, and for me, it would be my sobriety, and I am now a peer support specialist at Fraser. I just nice. got a new job there, and um, that's what changed. Thank you, Jason. Congratulations. Couple more? Anyone? Anyone? Nice. I, it's like whenever I have this feeling of intuition, like I should make a change or that this doesn't feel right, and then I just ignore it for a while, and then it just keeps coming up, and then you know, something outside of my control removes this problem, you know, like the person, place, or thing. It's just forcefully removed from my life. Mm -hmm. And then I feel much more at peace because of it, but I didn't actually do anything, but I should have made the change a lot sooner, but I just chose not to. But it all corrects itself in the end, so thank God. You know, yeah, thank you. amen. All right, thank you. Got time for one more. Oh. Yeah? No? Go on once. <laughs> oh, here we go. Uh, Michael, um, I guess the, cha the change that it made was when God led me here to Lighthouse and to uh, be able to work with uh, all the peer supports and uh, care coordinators and stuff that I have in my life and then all the other rest of you guys. Uh, that's That's... It's been a big change in my life. It's made me really happy. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, happy, I'm probably happier than I've ever been in my whole life. So thanks. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. 
That's awesome. It's been good. It's been good. Question time. We had good answers this morning as well. And so thank you for being transparent and, uh, and sharing with that. So um, we are going to continue in the book of John um, in our study uh, today. So I'm going to go ahead and put up today's verse on the board. So if you want to go ahead and get there, I'll give you a few seconds to do that. All right, and we'll begin at uh, verse 13, John 2. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle and scattered the money changers' coins over the floor and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from scriptures, passion for God's house will consume me. But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you the authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What, they exclaimed? It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said This temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. Right on. So a little little passion being put on display here. So right away we see that the Passover celebration is near, so Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem. Passover was a week-long celebration commemorating the moment when God freed his people from the bondage of Egypt. Passover specifically identifies with the final plague that fell on Egypt, the angel of death. If you remember, Pastor Dale touched on what happened that night. God's people were instructed to smear the blood of a lamb on their doorposts so that the angel of death would pass over. But for the Egyptians, the absence of blood would mean that the firstborn of that household would perish. It would be this final plague that broke Pharaoh and he released God's people. So it was during Passover time that it was expected that all Jewish males make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for this festival. Now you can imagine there are people coming from all portions of the country different countries, here are caravans of people making their way to Jerusalem. Large households of Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles being non-Jews, coming to the temple for worship and forgiveness of sin. Tons of people have arrived, so if anyone's struggling with 
social anxiety, this was probably not the place to be. So here's the scene. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifice. He saw dealers at the tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle and scattered the money changers, coins all over the floor, and turned over their tables. Right on. Yeah, things just got real, right? So this is, this is I mean, I, I think a lot of us have heard this story and. and at some point, maybe, that here we see Jesus making what we kind of perceive as a whip, right? And getting ready to, to make some changes. Jesus observes the scene and immediately sees that there's something wrong with this picture. There are merchants and money changers, vendors everywhere. And they're crowding an area that's meant for worship. Shady practices, the money changers which charge ridiculous fees to change foreign currency. The animals sold for sacrifice were very expensive. Those who brought their own animals would be told that their animal wasn't of quality. And that they would have to buy one from one of the vendors there at the temple. Um, Can you say kickback? Kickbacks, yeah. You think some uh, shady things weren't going on there. Um, there was temple taxes to be paid. Um, there was a variety of ways that many people there were making money off of the sincere effort by people to come and have relationship with God. So it was kind of, it's kind of like they were, you know, those uh, places where they don't let you bring in your own water but they're more than happy to let you pay $10 for their water, right? So it's kind of like what, what was going on there. So now Jesus arrives on the scene, okay? This is probably not his first time there, but we see this very passionate response from Jesus. He forms a whip out of some rope, and it says he chases some of them out. No way. It says says he chased them all out, all out. Hang on to that for a minute, all of them. And in the process, he's flipping over tables, scattering money on the ground. Now, when I read scripture like this, my mind tries to envision what's going on. Yeah, trying to capture this scene in my head. What is going on here? What is Jesus up to? Goes in, doesn't like something that he sees and starts kicking everybody out of the temple, right? So let's, let's go over, I want to go over some things here with you. So where the vendors were set up inside the temple, it was called the outer courts. It's also known as the court of the Gentiles. It's a very big place. This court covered, I mean, it's, very, very big. I mean, it's, we're talking like if, if you had to think about the size of where the vendors were set up, let's think of West Acres Mall. Probably almost akin to how many vendors of animals, of selling sheep, oxen, pigeons, money changers, were set up inside this court area. There's a lot of people here. 
okay? And, but that, that court area was meant for worship. It wasn't meant for people to come in and sell things. It was, it was strictly meant for worship. But the religious leaders of that day saw that they could get kickbacks, they could get money, they let the vendors come in and do their thing. And this has been going on for many years. So I want you to imagine, okay, here's a big place. I got a temple. I've got this strip mall set up inside the temple. You can see why this probably caught Jesus' attention. There was something occupying a place of worship that didn't belong. And you can take this further because this is not his first trip to this festival, as as I said earlier. He's probably been observing this unscrupulous scene for years. Lots of vendors and livestock. Tables of money changers. Basically, a small mall had been set up inside the temple, and Jesus is having none of it. Now, we can get caught up in the fact that Jesus made a whip, right? Because that kind of stands out, doesn't it? Right? Takes some cord, makes a whip. Here we go. Game on. Right? Sure, we can get caught up in that. So, this is the point I wanted to make. Moving cattle and sheep required the use of a motivational device, and it still does today. All right? I do not believe Jesus used this on people. That's not his nature. Okay? He wouldn't have to. If you chase people's livelihood out the door, they are most likely going to follow and make sure to get their property back, right? That would probably be number one concern. You know, And as they're doing that, you can imagine that some colorful expletives are being shouted as the vendors go to get their property, right? Nobody's probably happy with Jesus, right? All right, you're shuttling out. You're kicking them out the door. You're, he's making a ruckus. Things are going awry. Business is not occurring as usual. Hmm. What is going on? Now look at what he does when he approaches the vendors who sold doves. He doesn't knock over the cages so the doves fly away and they lose their property. All right. I think Jesus was sensitive to the fact that these vendors can go get their animals later. All right. But they're not going to stay here. So he goes to the dove and he says, you know what? He directs them to remove these things from his father's house and do not turn it into a marketplace. He explains to them, you don't belong here. I'm not going to make you lose your stuff. But you don't belong here. So why was Jesus so on fire? Why was he being so passionate about this? After all, this is the way it's been done for who knows how long. It's always been done this way. And how many times have we heard that when it comes to unhealthy things in our life? How many times have we told ourselves that? It's always been done this way. This is how I get by. This is how I do it. I know it's unhealthy for me, but it's the only thing I know. It was his father's house. It was his father's house. I can understand getting passionate about family. Right? 
This was his father's house. This was a place that had purpose and intent for a few things. This magnificent temple where all people could come and be intentional about a relationship with a God who loves them dearly. A place to find forgiveness and a place to remember the things that God had brought them through and that specific time, a place to remember and celebrate how God brought them out of bondage by delivering them from death and Pharaoh by the covering of a blood on a doorpost by an unblemished lamb. Jesus knew the intent of his father's house was to be about prayer, worship, relationship, Forgiveness and repentance. Instead, it had become grounds for shady practices of commerce. Jesus saw how people were being taken advantage of. He noticed. Many of those who didn't even have much to begin with. Just a little tidbit here, but usually the animals that were bought for sacrifice, for the forgiveness of sins, is usually done on basically what you could afford. And that's why they had oxen. If you're wealthy, you probably could get a sheep. You probably could get an oxen. But if you were poor, that's why they had doves. So it was basically what you could afford to sacrifice at that time. People who had journeyed a great distance just to be met with underhanded deeds. So people came a long ways to Jerusalem by foot, right? It took a while to get there, days, maybe a week. So they came from great distances to have this moment to celebrate, to have this exceptional moment with God, to be in his presence, to be in his house, and to have relationship with him. And it was really being denied to the Gentiles in this way because of what was happening in this court area. This was not the intent or purpose of this place. Jesus was going to make sure that his father's house would not be shamed by such activity. Change was needed. I want to take a moment and have us consider some things about this part of the story that may not have crossed your mind. We just read last week how he turned water into wine. And that is very cool, right? I mean, water into wine, come on. And so does this story spark the same sense of awe or wonder about Jesus when you read it? Or do you think, man, this is just, I don't really see this on the same level. But if you don't, I want you to consider a few things. That this was really a miraculous moment, a divine moment. So nothing has indicated Jesus had any help. Now think about it. One man goes into this large marketplace and it says he drove them all out. One guy. Now how is one guy supposed to do this? How does, one, how does, how does a, this huge community that's been doing this from, for years allow this one guy, who they probably didn't even know who Jesus was, and he goes, and they allow him, and it says he cleared the temple. He cleared it. And, they, and he did it single-handedly. So basically, Jesus drove out single-handedly West Acres Mall. Cleared the place. Nobody tried to stop him. What? Come on. 
Somebody tips over your table of money. Somebody tries to take your things and run it out. You're just going to watch them? Just going to let it happen? Just, oh, yeah, go ahead. Take, yeah, sure. Go. No. No, everybody, we're going to confront somebody, right? We're going to, didn't happen here. The temple even had their own guard. Now, some stranger, and yes, he would have been a stranger to most, came along and started throwing out your merchandise and tipping over your cash register and sending your profits flying. Would you not confront him? Yet there was no indication that happened until after he was done. It clearly states he drove them all out. The Greek word used for the word drove also means expel. That means he got them out. That's a lot of animals. That's a lot of people. Who he said, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Right? He would have been outnumbered. Think about it. Why did no one stop him? I am certain if I would have tried to do the same thing, I would have met a tidal wave of resistance and been turned into a human pinata after flipping the first table. Yeah, I don't think I'd have got very far. I'm pretty sure I'd been confronted. The temple had its own temple guard security. Why didn't they shut down the ruckus? Doesn't quite add up, does it? How's one guy able to do all this? Well, as we all come to learn and know, there is something special about this Jesus, right? Nobody challenged his authority to do this. And it wasn't until after he was done. Now here come along the religious leaders of the day, and of course, after... This incredible display of authority and passion by Jesus proceeds to challenge him with this very deep and insightful question. What are you doing? But then to make sure that Jesus understands what social position they hold, declare, if, you, if God gave you the authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign and prove it. Yeah, because we're that special. Yeah. We need the miraculous sign from God. Um, were you not paying attention to just what happened an hour ago? One man just cleared your temple. Nobody stopped him. Nobody stopped him. One man. As if what Jesus just did was not enough. You just have to love Jesus' response because he gives them an answer that is so far above their pay grade at the time. <laughs> he said, all right, give you a sign. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What? It's taken 46 years to build this temple, they said. You're going to rebuild it in three days? Right? Right over their head. Wasn't talking about the temple. He's talking about himself. Jesus declared, this temple. This temple. Right? It's amazing to me how Jesus used a moment 
in which the religious leaders and probably most of the crowd would totally miss the meaning of his words until the right time came along. His words were remembered and resulted in lives changed as an increase in belief happened for those who kept their eyes on Jesus. It is agreed by most scholars that this happened, this, this scene happened in the first year of Jesus' ministry. All right? His crucifixion, crucifixion and resurrection would happen three years later. Jesus declared that right here. So he knew. He knew what was going on. Right? But he has this moment with leaders who didn't understand, but for the benefit of those who were listening to him and kept their eyes on him, he said words, and three years later, they remembered. They remembered after he rose from the dead and came back and they were like, do you remember that time in the courtyard? And Jesus just wiped everybody out and just scattered the place. And then they came and asked, and he said this, he said this, do you remember that? And they said, yeah, we remember. And then the word says, they all believed Jesus and the scriptures. How Jesus can use this time, three years earlier, to embolden somebody's faith three years down the road. And he probably knew that too. They're going to need this when that time comes. I love that about Jesus. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. So what does this mean for you and me? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 6.19. So it says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. I like that. Do you know that your bodies are temples? Do you know your bodies are temples? Jesus will flip some tables in you to remove what doesn't belong in the temple. Be certain of it. Not because he is angry with you or me, but because he doesn't want to see those things in your life that will rob you of the greatest sense of joy that can ever be known, and that is close relationship with him. Now, many of us in here can agree when we made the decision to have Christ as Lord and Savior in our lives, and we've said this before, it wasn't all rainbows and glitters right out of the gate. Life's problems just didn't disappear. But I assure you, as soon as you invited Christ in, that changes were being made, tables were being flipped, and I'm sure we all felt that uncomfortable change in our life that until down the road we didn't see how good it was at the time. Do 
Jesus is going to start making healthy changes in your life. It may feel uncomfortable and strange, like someone came along and just flipped your tables, but God gives us this promise to comfort all that. Romans 8, 28. A lot of us know this one. And we know that all things, in all things, God works for good of those who love him and have been called according to his person. To his purpose, right? Yeah. And we know that in all things, God works for good. It may not feel like it at the time. It may not be what you imagined. It may not be what you envisioned happening to you going forward. Like, I I know what God's going to do. And it doesn't always work out that way, does it? But we do know that his intentions are good and he's going to do the best thing for us. Now as I get ready to close, I'm going to invite the band back up and I want to leave you with this word. I know the promise in that verse to be true because today is a special day in my walk with Christ. Today is nine years of sobriety for me. It was nine years ago today that I was arrested and sentenced to prison. A day where much was lost. A home. A family. But a day that was so necessary for my tables to be flipped and for poor choices to be driven from this temple. My life was full of unhealthy thoughts and practices. Change was absolutely necessary. I know there are those here and watching who understand this. God is passionate about his children and he is not afraid to make the necessary changes so that we are not robbed of relationship with him. Jesus is in the business of restoring temples and so he is in the business of restoring you and me, my friends. As Dale shared a couple weeks back, Come and see. Come and see what this Jesus can do and how he loves. I'm a living testimony to all this today. From a very broken man to one whose restoration is well underway. And having the privilege of standing before you to declare Jesus loves you more than you will ever know. There's nothing you've done that has made him love you less and there's nothing you can do to make him love you more tomorrow. His love is unconditional. Happy table flipping, my friends. And thanks for letting me share.